Very often we will hear things that we want to hear that we also need to hear. But maybe more rarely we hear things that we need to hear that maybe we didn't really want to hear. So this episode we're going to cover three things that I think will help you be a better songwriter that you need to hear that maybe you don't want to hear. So this might be a little bit of a painful one. We'll see. But it's important to talk about, so let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joseph Dalla. Honored that you would take some time out of your busy day to talk songwriting with me. Glad that songwriting is important enough to you as a craft that you would choose to spend some time listening to a songwriting podcast or watching a songwriting podcast if you are on YouTube. Glad that songwriting means enough to you to listen to this, especially when I prefaced it with the fact that you may hear things that you don't want to hear in this episode. And if it makes you feel better, especially the first point is something that uh, I don't necessarily want to hear either, but I need to tell myself as well. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my guide on 20 different ways to start writing a song. This is going to be a great way to kickstart your songwriting journey. If you're new to songwriting or if you're a more seasoned vet, as you know, if you've been a listener for a while, I'm a huge fan of starting songs in different ways. I think it's an easy way to kind of avoid writer's block and constantly have fresh creativity. It's just a good way to stay fresh creatively and avoid writer's block. And I like both of those things. Not to mention it helps us to write songs that don't all sound the same, because if we always start our song the same way, the tendency is our songs will start to sound kind of the same in a way that they wouldn't otherwise. So that's the songwritertheory.com slash free guide. 20 different ways to start writing a song. It's a cheat sheet. It's much more short than it used to be, even though it used to be 10 different ways to start writing a song. I'm pretty sure it's like half the length, but twice the value. So be sure to grab that if you haven't already, or if you grabbed it a long time ago, because it is a new updated version that is much better. It desperately needed update for sure. So first thing that you probably don't want to hear and even I probably didn't want to hear uh, as recently as a couple of months ago that we need to. And that's pushing on quantity and quality. So I think most people lean towards one or the other. I personally am a person that leans towards prioritizing quality over quantity. I'm someone that would much rather feel like every song I write is exactly as I want it to be and I feel good about the song, and when it goes out, I feel like, yes, I consider that ready. And that doesn't mean that three years later I won't think, ah, by my new standards, this song is kind of, you know, it's, it's okay, but it's, I'm not not proud of it, but it's, you know, I wrote that three years ago. I wrote that five years ago. So, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that that's not going to happen. I think if you're constantly growing as an artist, that's somewhat inevitable to a degree. But, I'm generally somebody that wants to control the quality of my output more than I control the quantity of my output. And you may be somebody that leans that direction as well because, well, you listen to this podcast, so there's a high probability that you have resonated with my emphasis clearly more on quality rather than quantity. But both are clearly important. And there are some people on the other side, right? They just are all about quantity. They're like, oh, I pump out a song a day or I write one song a week no matter what. 
And there's value in that, which we're going to touch on for sure. But if we only do that, you're also missing out because just like any other form of art, of course, it's the case that to some degree, how much time you spend on a piece of art is going to affect the quality. And it's just wistful thinking or wishful thinking rather to say, oh, if, if, if the magic is right, I just have to write a song in an hour and it will be perfect the way it is. Like, OK, you, you can think that. But for, for each one of your songs, you may have songs that were just, you know, 10 hours of editing or 10 hours of workshopping and crafting it off of that first hour, first draft version of your song away from being a great song. And you ended up pumping out a meh song because you just didn't take the time to craft it into something that's quality. You're too busy concentrating on quantity. And I think all of us lean in one direction or the other. Now, hopefully, I think, though, the truth in this case is somewhat in the middle. So I, I don't agree that quantity leads to quality. I think that's untrue just because, you know, quality. Qu Quality leads to quality. Putting more time in, crafting and being more intentional about what you're doing in your song, that is going to lead to quality more than just quantity leading to quality. Because, of course, you can pump out a song every – like if you take a claim to the extreme to see if it's true, right? So if you wrote a song every 15 minutes, a whole song, do you ever think once in your life that 15-minute song would be great? For most of us, probably never once would we write a great song. Probably. Maybe you'll get lucky and once all the right magic hits and that 15-minute song, including the lyrics, is great. So obviously it's not totally true that quantity leads to quality. I think it can have a... a it, it is a factor, though, right? In the same way that, of course, quality leads to quality. But... If we were to try to be mathematical about analyzing a songwriter and how great a songwriter is, it would have to be something like the quality of output times the number of output. So a, a songwriter who puts out five 10 out of 10 songs every year versus an artist that puts out 10 10 out of 10 songs per year, the, the, the one who can put out double the songs at the same quality, we would say is better, right? And then where it gets more interesting is we have one artist that puts out five songs a year, 10 out of 10. All of them are great. So well-crafted. And another artist pumps out 30 songs a year. And all of them are firmly mid, five out of 10. Which one's a better songwriter? I don't know. Sort of a discussion, right? Because the other one did produce six times more songs in a year, 30 versus five. But the quality of them all was mid. So how do you measure those two songwriters against each other? So so clearly, both quantity and quality ha have a play in here. And if every song takes years, we aren't writing enough songs. And we're not allowing our we're just allowing ourselves to obsess too much on quality. We're not flexing our writing muscle enough to actually grow as writers if we are spending so much time on every single song that the average song takes years to complete. So pushing on writing more songs, but also pushing on being more intentional about the quality of songs, I think is the way for all of us to go. And for every single person listening, and myself included, 
that means there's probably one of these two that you need to push on more. In my case, it's definitely quantity. That has been the thing that I've needed to push on more. To get me to obsess on quality, That's I, I, I've already done that. That's I'm not saying that I need to stop doing that, just to be clear. And I'm, not, I'm never going to change that. But I do think that there's value in pushing in the quantity direction to help up up the the quantity also because you know if you just force yourself to do a song sprint write something really fast sometimes that can then be edited into something really great and because you gave it a time box you just did get a lot done in that one hour so it can sort of accelerate your writing of a great song so there's a lot of value to putting some emphasis on quantity especially for me who usually concentrates on quality and wherever you are on the spectrum it's probably worth figuring out which one do you obsess over and concentrate on the other one so if you are a person who has always been like oh i just right when the feeling hits and yeah i get a song done in an hour on average then you are 100% a person that needs to concentrate on quant quality rather than quantity those words are way too similar because if you spend an average of an hour on a song, you 100% do not concentrate on quality. You just don't, right? That's like if if every single cartoon somebody put out or comic strip they put out, they're like, oh, yeah, I always spend like 30 minutes on it. Then you clearly didn't concentrate on quality. You concentrated on qu quantity. So... So on that side, you know, if we pump out a lot of songs and never really take the time to carefully craft and workshop them, we're not flexing our editing muscle enough. We're not flexing our quality muscle enough. And we really need to, I think, be flexing both muscles. So especially as we're going into 2024, if you're listening to this towards the end of 2023, when this is recorded and released, one of the things I think I would challenge you to for next year, which I'm also taking up this challenge, is for me my clear objective is I'm going to work on the quantity side of things. And for you, figure out which one of those do you, do you, which camp are you in and then work on the other one. If you're a quantity person, figure out a way to work on quality this year. If you're a quality person, work on quantity. And I think I've already talked about how to do that. Personally, I'm use, utilizing song sprints, short version Give yourself a time box. So literally set a timer on your phone or on your computer. And you say, I'm going to write a song A to Z. Totally finish a, a new song in this amount of time. Knowing that it probably will not be a great song. And that it will at best be a seed that can grow into a great song with editing and with crafting later down the road. But you also may be surprised and it may get a lot closer than you think. A lot of times I've found that actually on the music side, sometimes the music is almost good as is. Maybe... You know, the chord progressions or the the music is a little limited, so I feel like, eh, let me rewrite the bridge into something that's not the same chord progression over and over again or the same piano riff that every the whole song is built off of. Little things like that, maybe. And the, lyric, the lyrics are usually where the most work needs to be done. Lyrics are usually going to be the bottleneck on any good song. Um, not saying music isn't, but just lyrics to get right just takes way longer than than music to get right, generally. Number two, music theory, yes, we're going there, has only ever helped people write music. So this is one of those things, there's, there's always a lot of pushback. 
even in these, you know, I, I asked what your number one songwriting struggles were, and I've been responding to all those and some of these bonus episodes. I think we're on, I, I've recorded eight, I believe. Uh, as of this release, I think probably five of them are out or four of them are out. So they'll continue continue to come out. But I believe multiple times already, some version of I don't want to learn music theory, whether implied or overtly said, but also I can't figure out how to write this musical thing or how to do this musical thing or how to write a chord progression. And it's just one of those things where, you know, it's, I want to be nice about it, but also like, do you not see the connection here? You know what I mean? Like those two things are very related. It's almost like your problem and the thing that you refuse to learn, the thing you refuse to learn is what would help you with the problem. And I'll start, I'll start sympathetic here because I, I understand that music theory has a bad rap. And I think I partially understand why. I don't think it's fair, but it's it's understandable how it got there. And it, I think it's this perception that it's this elitist classical stuff that is like people imagine sheet music with crazy accidentals and a bunch of symbols they don't recognize that even classically trained pianists don't really know what they mean. That's what people visualize when they hear music theory. Now, I don't know why that is, uh, but it's not true. Like that, 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 that literally has zero, zero to do with music theory. Nothing at all. You can be a music theory savant. You can know everything there is to know about music theory and not know how to read any sheet music. They have no direct connection whatsoever. None. Um, so, but for whatever reason, that's one thing that people misunderstand. Also, if you were to Google right now, you know, learn music theory or something, almost all of the websites that focus on teaching music theory look very old, outdated, and classical, which, let's be honest, when it comes to design, classical is incredibly boring. This is nothing against classical music, right? But if you look at a classical music album cover, if you look at a website about classical music, always, it is this, like, overdone cursive muted colors let's be honest black and white most of the time which which can be a nice look but let's be honest i've said let's be honest way too much but it looks boring academic pretentious and awful almost always and it also is something where whenever you call something music theory it does sound academic and also i think people are aware that there are college courses or there are you know, high school classes called music theory. So then they associate it with just being academic knowledge and throw it out, which of course is misguided because schools almost always and almost always exclusively teach overall worthwhile things badly with lack of clarity and lack of emphasis on what is actually useful and why. Almost always, when schools teach something, it's not benefits-driven, it's academia-driven, right? You have to learn this stupid factoid about history, like what year Columbus sailed the ocean blue, or what year of the for the Declaration of Independence. Those things, like if you're an American, it's embarrassing if you don't know those two things. 
But those are not the things that actually matter. The parts of history that matter are the actual events of history, how one thing led into another, what happened in certain countries, how do we avoid repeating the past. Those are the important parts of history, not some stupid date. And math is a very similar thing too. A lot of people are like, oh, whenever am I ever going to use this math? And the reason people ask that question is because the classes are garbage at teaching people how it actually applies. And in some cases, right, some advanced math, if you're not an engineer or software developer, you aren't going to use that math, right? If you took Calc 2 and you never become a software developer, you took a class for no reason. <laughs> I mean, like, you're just not going to use that knowledge for maybe there's something besides software development that is used, but basically nothing else. And to accuse something of being academic knowledge is misguided. I'll use the kinder version of the word. <laughs> misguided, because anything is academic if you don't apply it. Right? If you if you decide to study how to invest in rental properties or become financially free or you know, anything that we would generally say is obviously worthwhile, like personal finance. But if you don't apply it, then it becomes academic knowledge by definition, right? Because academic one of its definitions is not of practical relevance, only of theoretical interest. If you're a person who doesn't play an instrument and doesn't write music and has nothing to do with music and you learn music theory, then yes, it is purely academic because you don't use it. But the problem with that is that's not a problem with the subject itself. That's not a problem with the material itself. That's a problem with the lack of application. So just, just to go back to the, the college slash high school version of music theory, you may know or be aware of the fact that music theory classes, which are admittedly classes, are prerequisites to music composition. So in my high school, we had music theory one, music theory two, music composition one, and music composition two. You could not take music composition, which is literally music writing, just a pretentious way of saying that basically, without taking music theory. Why is that? Is it just because they like to be gatekeepers for no reason and they're big meanies? No, it's because in order to even begin to get into deeper music composition, you have to know music theory because music theory really would be better, would be more accurately probably called musical foundations. It is the foundational knowledge of how music is put together, how you can put together music, how to analyze how other people put together their music, how it's working, how it really is working at its core. It's understanding what the chord progressions are actually doing, not just G major to C major. That means nothing. But a five chord to a one chord, that does mean something. But if you don't understand it from a music theory standpoint where you understand in the context of C major, a, a G major chord to a C major chord is a five to a one in that context. If you don't understand that, then... How would you even begin to apply the like, ooh, that sounds really resolved. How would you even begin to apply that to your song if in your D major song, you also try to do that same pro that same progression? Oh, that G to C sounded resolved. Try doing that in D major. It will probably sound like not resolved at all. So yes, music theory can be an academic thing if you're not a songwriter. But if you are a songwriter, it is purely practical. And it also is the case that 
you know, if maybe you tried to take a music theory course in college or high school and they didn't do a good job of applying it for how you would actually use it. But that's a, a school problem, not a music theory problem. It's the same reason why you took a bunch of history classes and now you probably don't really know your history. And if you do know your history, probably a lot of what you know is either stuff that you learned for fun or you kept up with it or you listen to a history podcast or read books or something. That's probably how you know it. Or you know worthless dates. Or maybe you had some good history teachers, which is great. Some of us did. But for a lot of people... They might be like, oh, history is boring and worthless. Or a lot of people learn to hate reading because of school. Do you know how many people, I mean, so many people, probably half of you listening to this podcast, especially if you're 35 or younger, 40 or younger, you probably were in the camp where high school taught you to learn to hate reading because probably partially because your literature classes were really boring and they didn't find a way to ex explain to you the value of the books you were reading. Or in some cases, I think in high school, we aren't ready for as dense material as is given to us. So we just are like, oh, it's boring because we're high schoolers. We're idiots. What do we know? So that's a part of it. But they, almost everybody falls out of love with reading because of school and associates it with what they have to do. The teacher made me read three chapters and I didn't even understand what was going on. And then people have to rediscover that, oh, wow, reading is fun. I actually like reading books sometime in their 20s when they pick up a Brandon Sanderson novel and they're like, wow, this was actually a lot of fun. Who knew that not everything was as dense as East of Eden or something like that? So accusing it of being academic, I understand why people do that, but it's deeply misguided. Anything is academic if, if you don't apply it and if it has no practical use to you. But if you're writing music, it absolutely, if you're writing music or if you're trying to analyze how other people are writing music, music theory is insanely valuable, insanely valuable. There's a reason why it is the prerequisite to music composition in college. So if you wanna learn music composition, you wanna get good at really composing music and not just you know, picking stock chord progressions and just kind of going with the flow, music theory is the prerequisite to that. It is. Like music composition wouldn't even begin to make sense with it. It's like trying to do algebra before you knew addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication. You can't. It is the prerequisite. You literally cannot do algebra without those four things. And it's it's very much in the same vein. It's very much in the same vein. Maybe a little less impossible, but it's certainly there's a reason it's a prerequisite. And even though school is often deeply misguided and very ineffective at what it tries to do. Usually when something is a prerequisite for something else, there's a good reason for that. And then finally, just because this, this comes up so much, people are like, oh, you don't need music theory. You don't need basically anything. The argument against doing something or learning something based on need is always asinine. Let me say that again. The argument to not do something because it's not needed is always asinine. That's not the question. Almost nothing is needed. The house that I'm in is not needed. I could live in a tent. I could not own property. I could, right? I don't need a house. Most people in all of human history didn't have anything even remotely resembling a house. I don't need two meals a day. 
much less three meals a day. I don't need electricity. I don't need internet. Need is a silly, silly, silly argument for anything. Oh, you don't need that. Who cares? Like that, that, almost everything we have and enjoy and most of the best parts of life are things we don't need. I, I didn't need to have a child. She's the best thing to ever happen to me. No question. By far the best. If I could only keep one thing, like, you know, job, things I've learned, my wife and daughter, <laughs> like, easy. I don't need them. I would still be alive on the planet without them. Don't need to have had a kid. That's the best thing ever to happen to my wife and I. We're both in agreement. <laughs> best thing ever. So the argument of need has always been and always will be silly for everything. It's always a ridiculous argument. The real question is, is it beneficial? Because basically nothing is needed. Internet is beneficial. Me having this camera and this microphone is beneficial. You probably, many of you might have never given this podcast a shot if the sound quality was significantly worse. If I was recording with my Pixel phone microphone, you'd been like, who is this guy? And you wouldn't have even been able to hear the advice I gave because you were too busy hearing how low the sound quality was thinking, you know, can't possibly be valuable information because the sound quality is bad. People do that with cameras too. Like, tell me you've never watched a video and set and been like, oh, it looks like it's recorded with somebody's phone or an old camcorder. So you just assumed that it couldn't possibly have value because it didn't look pretty. People do that all the time. So the question is, is it beneficial? And as I've said many times before, there are two kinds of people. People who know music theory or even know what music theory is and know that it's useful. And people who don't know what music theory is. Because there is a 0% chance that you actually know music theory and you know what it is. And you would not be like, oh, of course it helps with songwriting. Of course it helps with songwriting. It, it like the biggest shift in my songwriting ever was in between me taking my music theory classes in high school. No question. Biggest shift ever. And I've grown a lot as a songwriter. My lyrics are much less cringe than they were when they were when I was when I was 18, 19, 20. But the biggest ever shift in my songwriting was pre and post my music theory classes. No question. It's not even close. So is it beneficial? Yes. Just like you don't need to lay off the brownies to lose weight, but it sure does help, right? You don't need to get rid of all your credit card debt to get your finances on track, but it sure does help. Almost nothing is needed. That's not the right question. The question is, is it beneficial? And it absolutely is beneficial, A, to figure out what other artists are doing in a way that you can actually replicate it, and B, to actually be intentional about music writing so you aren't just picking random stock chord progressions, hoping that they work, and just being super limited because you don't even know how to make your own chord progression. You don't know how to match a melody with a chord progression. How would you even begin to do that? You don't know what a key is. Like when somebody says key is C major, D major. So music theory has only ever helped people write music. Never once has somebody become a worse songwriter for learning it, and never once have they been exactly the same as a songwriter for learning it. Every songwriter has always, forever, 
gotten better from learning music theory. So you can choose not to learn it because you're right. Maybe not you, but some people listening say, oh, it's not necessary. And they use that to justify not learning it. Fine. It is beneficial, though. And also, literally nothing is necessary. Basically. Continuing breathing. There you go. And from a certain point of view, even that isn't. So, like, necessary is a silly, just silly. Is it beneficial? Yes. Last one. If if you're not triggered enough already. Being an artist doesn't mean merely following your whims. So a huge mistake that I see come up over and over and over is conflating artist with wistful, unorganized, free of any and all rules and constraints. Don't ask me to learn. I just do. Basically conflating an artist with a hippie. And... I got to be honest, I've never been here for it, and I'm not here for it. And I see it come up over and over again. There's this weird idea that what an artist is, is somebody who is purely slave to their wills, and they only write something when the muse visits their door, and there's the, the stars sparkle in a certain way that just leads you to notice the angels descending from the sky. Like, stop. <laughs> like, are we hippies or are we artists? Because it's it, it's like the starving artist thing it's just made up garbage it's 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 self inflicted there's no reason for you as an artist to be starving whether the the answer is get a day job and have you know have art be your passion that you work on at night or whether it's finding a way to monetize your passion if that is something that you really want to do and 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 look, of course, it's harder to make money with art than it is with a more tangible skill, right? The, the value of developing software or engineering a car is much more tangible than writing a song or writing a book. I understand that. I'm not trying to diminish that. But it kind of all goes together in this weird vision of an artist that we have where it's like, oh, we have to be miserable. We also have to be poor. And we also have to be people that are purely slaves to our current whims and wills. And, and, and we just wait for the muse to arise and the muse is our true lover and all this ridiculous stuff that's just silly. It's just silly. And, and, and here's the thing. If you really care about the craft of songwriting, you write whether you feel like it or not. You're not slave to whether, it, whether you feel like it. You're not slave to your motivation it's kind of like you know somebody somebody who's a runner or somebody who's a, a, a whatever you would call somebody who works out consistently. I don't know why I can't think of the word. You don't become that by just working out when you feel like it or running when you feel like it. Right? Do you think Michael Phelps felt like swimming? What was it? Six hours a day every day? Really? Like, I'm sure. Yes, I'm sure he loves swimming. You have to. <laughs> to even begin to do swimming for as many hours a day as he did. But of course he didn't always feel like doing it, but he became great because he did it anyway. And this weird, oh, artists aren't subject to that. Of course they are. I don't even know where that idea comes from because so many artists are also by need some form of business. A a great example I can think of, and, and, and by the way, 
there's a lot of things that you might say, okay, you're talking in generalities, Joseph, but what specifically do you mean by just following your, your whim? So I'm talking about, you know, when, when people just, the music theory thing, that's one thing. I'm not going to talk about that more because we talked about that at great length. But not wanting to learn music theory is absolutely a part of this, right? Oh, oh, it's just it's rules, and I don't follow rules. I'm an artist, uh, which is silly. And, and the other thing that goes with that is, you know, things like, oh, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't finish songs just because I, I, I just feel like I never have exactly the right words and blah blah blah. And we we make excuses, and we all do this to an extent, right? But we need to not, because ultimately we gotta just go. Yeah, writing lyrics is tough. Yeah, getting it right can be a painful process. So what? That's a part of what. That's what we do, right? Do we write songs or do we just like the idea of writing songs? Do we like songs or do we just like the idea of writing songs? Because if when the rubber meets the road, we just give up every time Every time we come across, you know, a song gets slightly inconvenient, then we don't really love writing songs. We just love the idea of writing songs, and we love writing songs when it's fun. It's not always going to be fun. I've said this before. If you really care about something as a craft, the main difference between that person and somebody who just treats it as just a hobby is if it's just a hobby, yeah, just do it when you feel like it. But if it's a real endeavor, it's a real thing you care about, it's a craft you care about, you, ha- you have to do it whether you want to do it or not. I'm not saying every day that you don't feel like doing it, you have to do it. I'm not saying we can't have mistakes or dry seasons. But there should be some level of discipline of I'm going to work on a song whether I feel like it or not. I'm going to write tonight even though I'm tired. Things like that. The idea of, oh, I'm just going to sit on my couch watching Netflix until the muse randomly gifts me with an idea and then I'll go downstairs and write. That's that's not that's not what an artist does. That's what a hippie does. Or I don't know why I'm picking on, on hippies, but like that's just that's just not what an artist is. Just a couple examples from other art forms. The Sistine Chapel, one of the greatest works of art ever. I mean, that thing is incredible. That was commissioned. Michelangelo didn't just get to work on that when he felt like it. I mean, it was commissioned. He was paid for that. And it became one of the greatest works ever. That's the opposite of everybody who's like, oh, I just work when the the feelings hit. Do you think Michelangelo had the the luxury of, oh, I only I only paint when I feel like it? No, he was paid to do that. It was a job. And he created one of the greatest piece of work pieces of art ever. Or Brandon Sanderson. I know I talk about him a lot. He's my go-to for authors, frankly, uh, for many reasons, including the fact that the way he runs his business I find fascinating, and it's just really, he's just does such a great job with everything. He's a great writer. He's great on the business side. His website is excellently made, not design-wise, but but in its, uh, just just, it's very good. Like, if you go to his website, he actually answers the question where you should start, and he answers it based on who you are. So it would be like, if you're a fantasy fan, start with this book. If you've never read fantasy before, write this book. If you like romance, read this book. Brilliant. It's not, it's not complex, but it's brilliant. Because I might have just given up and not even started. But he told me, based on who I am, which book I should start with. So anyway, everything about Brandon Sanderson fascinates me. Also, he has progress bars. If you go to his website, go to, I think it's brandonsanderson.com. If not, just type in Brandon Sanderson and look if you care enough. He literally has progress bars at the top of the the home screen of his website. 
that give percentages of how far along his books are in the writing, in the final draft, or whatever stage it's at. He has progress bars. That is the, and, and he's, whether you like him or not, whether you even know who he is or not, he's one of the premier, most popular, very critically acclaimed as well. Just, he's a beloved fantasy author. And he's great. I love his books. Fantastic. And he, as a great writer, which is a form of artist, has progress bars. He has a rule that he writes X amount of words per day and he's not allowed to like stop writing. He has word goals every day that he has to hit. That's not writing when he feels like it. That's not when the whim hits him, whether he feels like it that day or not. No, he has a word goal to hit that day so he can keep up with the progress bars so he can continue to make books, write books, produce produce awesome novels. And I'm not saying we all should start with the progress bar thing, although I am trying to figure out how to apply that to songs because I love everything about that. I'm big on systems. I'm big on anti this whole weird hippie artist thing that people get into where like somehow art is the antithesis of productivity and art is the antithesis of, I don't know, logic, common sense. Like art is just this whimsical homeless guy sitting in a corner just thinking about, oh, if only like, like, I don't know, it's this weird version of artists that we have right now. Most oddly as like the ideal. And he is very much not that. He's another great example of, yeah, he's actually making art. He, he, had, he had one book, I think, planned to come out last year or this year, perhaps. I don't remember now. Or maybe it was two books. And then he surprised everyone with surprise. I'm giving you four more books this year. That dude produces a ton. And the quality doesn't go to, like, his quality is great. Uh, so I think we all can learn from him. But, but really the point is, don't just write when you feel like it or when you're inspired. Be productive whether you're inspired or not. We, this is something we all have to work on, right? But some of us are worse at it even than others. And it's an important thing to work on. And just in general, get that whole hippie thing out of our head. So songs, when they're completed, may feel like magic. Some of your favorite songs may seem like they're magic. But very, very often, the process to write that song is anything but magical. That's the reality. This is true of any art, right? A lot of movies that actually had a really just horrible production turn out to be great movies. Like Predator is one of the greatest action, like dude action movies ever. That thing had so many problems in production, so many. And yet, so the process wasn't magical, but the end result was. I mean, maybe you wouldn't call it magical because a horror sci-fi is not usually something you'd attribute magical to. But you can have great art that didn't have a great or fun process. That happens very often, very often. So again, songs may feel like magic, but the process to make it, the process to write it is often anything but magical. And I'll leave you with this. Stop being a hippie, start being an artist, because I'm sick of those two things seeming like they are getting combined. They're not the same. They're not the same. Okay, you don't need to go to some convent and get high all the time. And you don't have to do any hippie, remotely hippie-like thing to be an artist. In fact, I would argue that almost everybody would become a better artist if they moved farther and farther away from that. Be more like Brandon Sanderson. 
Be more like Michelangelo. <laughs> uh, be more like probably your favorite movie directors. You know, Christopher Nolan's not just sitting on his butt, you know, thinking about, oh, when the, when the mood strikes me. No, that dude's working. That's why he has movies come out consistently. And most of them are great. Sorry, Tenet. You just, you just, you just, you tried. You try to be so good and smart. And you just, it just, it just wasn't. It just wasn't. But anyway, Oppenheimer was great, though. So we're back. All right. Hopefully this was helpful to you. Hopefully it wasn't too painful. Hopefully you don't hate me too much. You're not too mad. Although be sure to leave your hate comments down below. I thought, you know, really, I just made this episode because I haven't gotten enough hate comments lately. I just need more. I just need more. There's been too much love, not enough hate. Need more hate in my life. Just kidding. But I do sometimes have to cover things, you know, that none of us want to hear. Myself included, right? I need to be told things I don't want to hear too. Uh, recently, I had a friend tell me something in regards to my content that I that I don't want to hear. Uh, actually, I'll share it. He talked about how sometimes I, I, I'm too busy with the, the nuances of things and I need to just, you know, say something that I believe and not b- be all nuanced about it. And he's right. He's right. I do need to do that sometimes. Hopefully this is helpful to you. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free guide, songwritetheory.com slash free guide. 20 different ways to start writing a song. Cheat sheet. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. I hope you'll be back for the next one. I do love you. This was a tough love episode, perhaps, for some of you. But I do love you. And that's why I got to give you the tough love, too. And hopefully I will hear from you or you will hear from me, I guess, in the next episode. <laughs>